I am so excited for this week's episode, but before I get into who I'm chatting to and what it is about, I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who reached out and uh, wished me congratulations for joining Team BioLane as their newest pre and postnatal coach. Now, if you guys follow Lane Norton, you most people follow Lane Norton, but he is truly one of the biggest inspirations that I have had in building my business and in the fitness industry, in the way that I lead with integrity, within the way that I coach and having the opportunity to be part of the team has just been massive for me. So I want to say thank you. And this week kind of just rolled into one of those weeks where all of your hard work and fruition that kind of comes to fruition, you know, where you kind of just feel like for the longest time you've been grinding and working hard and you've been doing a lot behind the scenes. And then you just reach these milestones where it all kind of feels like it's, it's coming to life. Um, and this week I had the pleasure of sitting down with fitness legend, Jordan Sire to talk about some of the topics that are so near and dear to my heart. And in this episode, I will be breaking down a few things with Jordan. First up, we will dive into the transition to parenthood and how it has impacted both Jordan and myself for the better. Then we'll explore the topic of scale weight and whether it's actually a useful metric for tracking progress or a potential hindrance to your mental health. We'll also chat about Jordan's take on cardio. Is it overrated, underrated, or somewhere in between? Now, before we get into the episode, guys, I do want to ask that if you enjoy it, please like, share it, uh, save it, share it with your friends, because I don't, in full transparency, have any advertising for this podcast. And if I am to reach my vision of, of helping over 100,000 women across the globe, I need your help to do that. So if you do enjoy it, please share it. Enjoy the podcast and I'll chat with you soon. Bye. All right, guys, welcome back to the Female Fitness Formula podcast. I have a really, really special guest with me today, Jordan Syed. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, but if, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of my listeners know who you are. But for those who don't, give me a little bit of a, a download on who Jordan is. Yeah, so I'm a short, bald, nerdy guy who likes to lift weights and help people with their fitness. And, and basically, I like to help people fit fitness into their life rather than trying to fit their life into fitness. That, that's really it. Like I want to make health and fitness as accessible to everybody as possible regardless of who you are, where you come from, how much money you make, any of that. I just, I, I want everyone to be able to benefit and to get healthier and to live the life that they want, especially from a, a health perspective. So, and I think it's very much realistic for people to achieve. I think some people are definitely gonna have a harder time than other people, but the reality is regardless of, of whatever the goal is, whether it's improved health or increased financial success or more work-life balance or whatever it is, regardless of, or getting better at basketball, whatever the goal is, some people are going to have an easier time than other people. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people will use that as a justification to not try at all, which personally, I just think is so stupid. It's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. So I try and make my information as clear, easy to understand as possible. So everyone can benefit from it. And that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's that's definitely one of the things that I have always received from your message, especially because, you know, there are a number of people in the fitness industry that kind of have their own way of doing things, right? But for, for yourself, Jordan, I've, what I've noticed is that you obviously know your shit very well, but you have this capacity to break it down into just really simple terminology and talk about the things that matter. Because I think in the fitness industry, and I don't know if you you agree to an extent, we talk a lot about the one percenters mm-hmm. and we don't actually talk about the things that really are going to make the biggest difference. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? I completely agree. The, the way that I say it is I think we too often major in the minors. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we, we think way too much. Like for, I'll give you an example. An example that I see people talking about a lot recently is creatine. Mm-hmm. Now, creatine, there are many potential positive uses for it. And it can be a wonderful addition to the supplement supplements that you take. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm actually saying that I think it's probably a net positive. And if you want to take it, it could enhance your strength training. It could enhance your body composition. It could enhance your, your, uh, there are neuroprotective benefits that are, that are being seen lately. But when someone comes to me and they are significantly overweight, or even if they're not significantly overweight, even if they just want to improve their health, creatine is not on the list of the top 100 things I'm going to mention first. But for some reason, and I know why, but for some reason, people love to talk about these these minute details that may make a difference, but relatively small difference, as opposed to something like going on daily walks or getting a full night of sleep or making sure you're getting enough protein or making sure you're getting enough fiber, making sure you're staying hydrated. These are the big things that are that we should be majoring in these majors, not majoring in the minors around creatine supplementation or beta alanine supplementation. It's just mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but relative to the other shit, it really doesn't matter. Mm, yeah, for sure. You know, it's going to be different if you get somebody come to you and they've been a bikini competitor and they they know all the you know the majors so to speak and then those one percenters are just going to be that that cherry on top so but then if someone comes to you and it's they don't go for daily walks as you said or they don't even know what a protein is or you look at their dietary habits and they don't eat a single vegetable all day those recommendations are going to be a lot different right um so you are a dad yes thank god how old is your little one so she just turned eight months about five days ago. Oh, so little, so little. Um, yeah, the first year is a, a bit of a whirlwind. How, how is it for you? How, how did you find it? I mean, it's been amazing for me, I mean, for many reasons, but I'll start by saying it's been much more difficult for my wife. Or like, I mean, there's no question that the, the woman, the, the mom has a far more difficult job than, than the father. Right. And it's, um, the baby legitimately, it requires the mother and mm. doesn't legitimately require the father, which is like sort of a mind fuck as the dad, like she doesn't yeah. actually need me. She needs <laughs> me. And, um, and I think it, it, it makes a big difference in regard to my wife has had a harder time getting a full night of sleep. And I think it's more stressful for her. I mean, holy shit, I had no idea that breastfeeding was a whole big fucking topic. I had no clue until like I started like I would show videos or pictures of me like bottle feeding my daughter because I wanted to give my wife a break. Yeah. And 
I would get attacked. Like, are you giving her formula? Why are you, why is she not breastfeeding? And I was, I had no idea how culty that, that world was and how like angry and judgmental that world could be. So I feel relatively lucky and blessed to not have to go through it as much as the women do. Ironically, yeah. I feel like, I feel like women give women the hardest time on that, on oh, that yeah. front. It's like, it's <laughs> so much like, like I had zero men being like, why are you doing that? It was all women, yeah. like very judgmental. Um, but for me, it's, it's, listen, it's been a big life change. There've been a lot of things that have uh, changed and I've had to shift around as a result of it, but it's been for, for us, like just the most amazing thing. And mm. it's difficult and it's exhausting and it's, mm. and it's just like, it's, it's very stressful at times, but it's simultaneously like the greatest thing that's ever happened. Mm, for sure. And I think people mix the concept of something being hard with it being bad and yeah. being a parent is hard but it is not bad and we would not change it for absolutely anything right oh my god no i mean it's sort of like working out working out can be yep. really hard but no one ever regretted getting their body and mind healthier right so it's like usually the the more difficult things that we do in life the better uh, yeah. on the back end right so and i think listen not everyone wants children and not everyone needs to have children but i knew for me my whole life i always wanted to be a dad mm -hmm. and as soon as i became a father i was just like this is what i've been put here to do like is yeah. to be a dad. like that's literally why i'm here so it, and like there's been nothing else in my life that has had that amount of emotion and nothing has felt as right as that so it's just been yeah. it's amazing yeah and and you did mention you know the women have it in a general sense you know a, a bit tougher in terms of the feeding and the sleeping schedules and the settling and all those types of things and i certainly don't want to skim over that because i agree however one of the things that we myself and my husband or i guess he probably was challenged with a bit more was the fact that he did feel so uh helpless at times yeah. and as, as a man like we have this we we have this i won't call it an argument a conversation a lot where he just wants to fix things yes exactly. <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah yeah and i'm like i don't need you to fix it i just need you to to, to listen or, or whatever it is but it was it was so um it was just automatic for him to want to resolve and he really struggled with being like well my boobs don't work i'm not sure what i do there and did you have that same thing what were the challenges that you sort of experienced going into fatherhood the the exact exact same thing i mean so i very much consider myself like i don't know if this is an obnoxious term but like an empath like i i very much feel what other people are feeling and mm. so when i see that my wife is in literal physical pain mental pain emotional turmoil all this stuff like i feel it and mm. just like your husband i want to fix it so my brain immediately goes to okay what action can i take right now to make this easier on you da, da, da. and a lot of times there was no immediate solution other than just be there and listen and like and be understanding but i think at least for me and it sounds like for your husband it was a it's very difficult to not have the solution you mm -hmm. just want to find the solution and i've seen like relationship memes all about this how like i literally just saw one earlier today it was how like the the wife was basically basically she said something to the effect of 
this is what she looks like when she's just venting to her husband and her husband says, all right, well, how can I fix it? And she's just yeah. like, I don't need you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me talk about it. Like that's it. <laughs> 100%. I think a lot of couples can probably relate to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we sort of mentioned, you know, we had a bit of a conversation just before this podcast and we were talking or I, I was talking about my perception of oh, people's lives before I had children and that I was very much that trainer that was, you know, we all have that same 24 hours in a day you know you choose where you spend that that 24 hours and if you're not getting a gym you're not doing that that's that's all on you right and I'm wondering if you have had a change in the way that you view certain things um, after having a baby and more specifically do you feel that you know that same 24 hours in a day is warranted there's no question that we all don't have the same 24 hours. That's like, it's, it's odd to me that there are people out there who still think that we do. Um, I think the most common thing that people will say to retaliate against that when someone says we all have the same 24 hours, the most common reply that I've seen that I don't like is, Oh, you're so privileged to say that. Mm. I personally don't like when people say that, whether it's about other people or to me in general, mainly because it doesn't actually address the issue and it's, it's, it's being hurled as an insult. Mm. It's not actually like they're, they're using the word privilege as a way to take away from what that person is saying. It's like, hold on, let's address the actual problem, not try and diminish what this person is saying based on their level of privilege, which I always find comical because it's usually happening over an online debate. And the person who's saying you're privileged is saying it from a smartphone, from the comfort of their own home. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's like has fresh food in the pantry right there. It's like, all right. So, I mean, we all have some level of privilege. So like just saying that your privilege doesn't actually solve the issue here. And this is again, going me going back to like, how do I solve the problem? Mm -hmm. There's no question that we all don't have the same 24 hours in a day, but replying to someone who says that with, oh, you're just saying you're, you're so privileged doesn't actually help the issue and it actually creates more headbutting. Mm -hmm. I, I think that for me, I've been very fortunate. I, I started coaching at a young age. I got my first job at a gym, internship at a gym when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing this for a long time. And the vast majority of my clients have always been mainly women, usually moms, often usually between 25 to 75. It's a pretty big age range that I've worked with. So even when I was probably by the time I got to like 22, 23, 24, it was long before I had my daughter, long before I, I wanted to have to start having children. Um, I saw like, okay, my schedule is very fucking different than their schedule. Like it's just like, I was able to realize that early on, which I think is one reason why people were drawn to me because I was able to say, all right, how can I put myself in that, in that situation? Even something as simple as, and I, I, I understood this, like just lying down on the couch and replying to DMS or, or watching a YouTube video. It's not that simple. Once you have a kid, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's not, yeah. it's not no. That simple anymore because now especially like you got a number like always and there's always like it's almost like there's always something playing in the background right mm -hmm. sometimes it's right up front and it's like you're in a movie theater and it's just like boom super loud and other times even when it appears to be off you still it's still in the background you're like 
Mm -hmm. I need to make sure they're not dead. Are they putting <laughs> like are they putting a bottle cap in their mouth that shouldn't be like what yeah. what are they doing? Where are they crawling? All this like it's just it's constant. So even when you're trying to focus or trying to be present in the moment, there's still that in the background. So mm -hmm. it's it's very clear to me that we all don't have the same 24 hours. Um, but I also think that people will use that as a justification to just not do anything, which again mm -hmm. also doesn't fix the problem. We can understand that. We all don't have the same day. We all don't have the same amount of time. We all don't have the same amount of stress. We all don't respond to the same situations with the same level of stress and uh, emotions and all that. There are so many individual factors that affect it. Mm -hmm. But I think as coaches, it's our job to make it as, as accessible for people as possible. And so for the 22-year-old kids who are fresh out of college, who've got so much fucking time that they can just take naps every day and and really not worry about it like that's great we can give them content that'll be helpful for them and then for the people who were like hey i've got 15 minutes in like random spurts throughout the day we can also give them information that will help them improve their fitness mm, absolutely and i think that comes down to a values piece and understanding why things are important to you right so you know health and fitness it's and I, I've noticed this a lot with my my postnatal mums or mums, not you know postpartum. You can categorize that in a specific timeline, but just mums in general. Where the women that I was working with prior to having kids, it was very much aesthetic, and and that's totally okay. If you've got an aesthetic goal, I'm I'm there to support that. But parents seem to have a a bigger why, as in terms of. I want to be around to see my kids grow up. And that is a powerful why. Yeah. But the challenges that they face, like you said, is that, you know, even getting to the gym for 45 minutes a day can be a really big challenge. And it's that all or nothing, maybe an all or nothing mentality, or maybe it's that they don't have the tools to realize that, like you said, hey, you've got 15 minutes here. Why don't we just do a little circuit inside? Oh, hey, you, you don't have the capacity to track macros. That's totally okay. That's one tool that we can use. How about we just start eating some veggies and maybe some protein with, with every meal? So in terms of the, the clients that you work with, because you have the inner circle. Yep. Yes. Yep. 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 And you said you mostly work with women and some mums. So what sort of things do you find that they, what challenges do they have? And where do you generally start if there's a mum who, you know, she's got two kids, she works, she is overweight, she's got some health problems and she just needs to lose that little bit of weight, but she's been trying forever and she, she doesn't even know where to start. Yeah, it's a great question. And there are so many different areas we can go with this, but I'm going to start with one and there I have a couple others in mind as well. I think the biggest issue that this isn't just for moms, this is for, I think, literally everybody in the world, but especially like the main people that I work with as mothers, is that the main struggle they have is a, is a mental struggle. And it's the mental struggle of thinking that the little things won't actually make a big difference. And no matter what they do, they're not going to succeed. Mm. Essentially, it's a lack of belief in, in the end result being possible. Mm. don't think it's going to work so why bother that's a very very dangerous mindset to be in and unfortunately i think that's where most people are and especially mothers but i think most people are at a point in which they just don't think it's possible and um that's the first thing that i always try and attack when i when i work with someone is how can i get you to believe that this is actually going to work how mm -hmm. can i get you to believe that and 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 it could be method based or result based but for example 
one of the things I talk about most in my content is the benefits of walking and how important walking is for health. And it's not like a mistake that I talk about it so much. And quite frankly, it's not, I don't talk about it so much because I love it. I really, I'm not like, I fucking love walking. It's, I talk about it so much because it's the most important thing that you can be doing on an everyday basis for your health, mental health, emotional health, physical health. And for some reason, a lot of people don't actually believe it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. That's why I talk about it. Like that is talking about majoring in the majors. That's like majoring in the most important one is just movement every day. Yeah. So, um, number one, I try and convince them and there are different ways based on different people, but often just by starting with something as simple as walking and then getting them to feel better as a result of that extra movement. Oh, wow. I took even something as simple as like, I like when, when people wear, like whether it's a watch or a Fitbit or track their steps with their phone, I like it because if they walk for 15, 20 minutes, they're going to get several thousand steps mm. and they don't realize how quickly it actually adds up. Mm. So for them to be like, oh my God, like I was on the phone and I just walked around my living room while I was on the phone with my girlfriend and I got 2,500 steps. Well, now all of a sudden, 7,000 doesn't seem that far out of the question. And like, they, wow, I can really do this. So I think that's the first thing that, that especially mothers struggle with is their belief in the ability to succeed. And then the other thing is a lot of them, they feel like they don't have enough time because in their mind, they've been told that in order to exercise and see results, you have to do high intensity interval training and you've got to do it seven days a week and you've got to go for hours every day. And if you're not sweating and, and drenched in sweat and like unbelievably sore, then it's not working. And that's just horseshit. That's not true. Mm -hmm. So understanding that there's tremendous benefit to lower intensity exercise, tremendous benefit to small bursts of, of exercise throughout the day, as opposed to one long gym session. Tremendous benefit to strength training two to three times a week for 20 to 40 minutes at most, as opposed to every single day and showing them like, listen, this is, it works. It's just, you just got to be consistent with it. So I think those are the, the two major things that they struggle with. And that's generally how I start to try and overcome it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember having a conversation with my husband. I was showing him with permission, of course, one of my clients, my private clients, their results. And a question that he asked me was, oh, is she, she's a mum, uh, a mum of two actually, and she works. And he, his question was, oh, is she just super adherent? And I sort of had to sit back and reflect on it. And I was, it was, it was a moment for me where I was like, no, actually she wasn't. If I, if I really summed up how many times or how many days she did all the things that, you know, quote unquote, you're supposed to do, you know, hit all of her steps, hit her training sessions, hit her macros, do all the things that you think you're supposed to do. It wasn't 100%, it wasn't 90%, it wasn't even 80%. But the one thing that she did was be consistent. Mm. And even when she, you know, I, I don't like to use the word went off track because there is no track, there is no track. We have highs and lows. Of, of life and we have different priorities. But the one thing that she always did was realigned herself with the process when she noticed that she was getting away from it. And, and the way that she was doing that, and I asked her, you know, how did you sort of realign yourself? And I was like, well, I just noticed that I wasn't work, walking as much. I just noticed that I wasn't preparing as many vegetables, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So one word that you said there was consistency. Mm. And I, I remember watching your your mini cut 
and yeah. you were sharing, you know, your weight and everything from day to day, and then you, you'd go out with your family and it would increase and then it would drop back down. And the message that you always just sort of shared was just be consistent. Yeah. <laughs> and that is that something that you feel that so many people struggle with? Because I know from my experience, they would see the increase on that scale after a long weekend and they'd be like, well, I'm back to square one. I may as well just throw in the towel. What's the point? This shit doesn't work. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of issues there. One, I think the heart of it being a lack of consistency. But I think in this specific situation, especially around going out to dinner, eating more, or fuck it, maybe even let's say you were perfect with your nutrition for mm -hmm. like three days and then all of a sudden your weight spikes. That's the people really freak out about that one. And that's when they're like, I give up, I quit. It's clearly not working. That, yes, the lack of consistency is is sort of the at result, but the cause is them not understanding what they're seeing. Mm. The, the cause of this issue is they see the scale spike up and all of a sudden they think that something is wrong or that it's not working. It's like, how I understand how you came to that conclusion, but the way that I explain it is, looking at the scale, it's like speaking another language. And most people are making their judgments or, or they're reading the scale without actually knowing how to read or speak scale. So mm. it would be like, I don't know, do you speak Japanese by chance? No. <laughs> okay, so imagine like you are, are, you look at a Japanese book and you don't know what the fuck it says, but you just get infuriated because you think that it told you something that it didn't actually tell you. Like you think that the book said you're an ugly piece of shit. It's like, well, hold on. But that book is talking about flowers. Why would you think that? Like you don't even speak Japanese. Why, why did that pop into your head? Mm -hmm. So in order for people to understand how the scale works, you have to understand scale language and you have to understand that it's going to spike for any number of reasons. It's going to go down. It's going to go up. It's going to stay the same. And you can't, you can't compare your weight day to day. Mm. comparing your weight day to day is a recipe for failure. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it's sort of like if we're looking at a, a long sentence, like a long sentence, there could be any three words back to back to back. Don't really make a lot of sense unless you have the entire sentence put together. Mm. So if you're looking at three weigh-ins in a row, three days in a row, you might see like the weight going up. But if you expand out to 30 days in a row, well, that little three-day thing might have actually meant nothing relative to your 30-day average. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I like to have people weigh every day, but they only compare month to month. So you weigh on June 1, you weigh on June 2, you weigh on June 3, but you don't compare June 1 to June 2. And you don't compare June 2 to June 3. You don't compare June 3 to June 4. You compare June 1 to July 1. You compare July 1 to August 1. You compare June 2nd to July 2nd, July 2nd to August 2nd. And when I would work with one-on-one -on -one clients, I would say, listen, for the first 30 days of tracking, you are not allowed to complain about your weight because we're, we're not comparing any of these together. We're comparing the first of the month to the first of the month, second of the month to the second of the month, third of the month, third of the month. And this way, they start to learn to speak scale language because they understand that the fluctuations within that month are relatively insignificant it's about the trend over time. So we would look at their trend from like from June to July to August to September, and there would be fluctuations and spikes all along the way, especially, you know, if it's a woman during her menstrual cycle, you mm -hmm. could often see a seven to 10 pound spike. 
in a day. And if they did that from day to day, they might freak out. But when they see it month to month, well, now they can see, okay, cool. On June 15th, their weight spiked up to 165. And, but then on July 15th, their weight spiked up, but only spiked up, spiked up to 164 and a half. And then on August 15th, it spiked up, but only spiked up to 163, right? So even though it's spiking up relative to the week prior, it's actually still going down month to month. And that's what's really important. And that's what I think can help people stay consistent when they learn to actually speak the language. Mm, so it's about the average, not the daily. Oh. Yeah, and it's not the daily average, it's not the weekly average, it's not the bi-weekly average, it's not every other week, it's once a month. It's mm. Men can generally use uh, every other week because their fluctuations are often, it's funny, they're flu they fluctuate just as much, it's just their fluctuations are less predictable. Whereas mm. women, fluctuations are actually more predictable based on your hormonal cycle. Yes. So but it, it's funny, every time I do a mini cut, women are shocked. They're like, I had no idea that men's weights fluctuates this much as well. It does. It absolutely does. It's just, it's just less predictable, but you can track it every two weeks and you'll see a more uh, steady decline as opposed to women. It's, it's generally better to do on a month to month basis. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually love that, that, that month to month. And I've never looked at it through that lens. And I certainly, you know, track the average and everything with clients, but it, it is so true because I've, working with women who do have a cycle i know around ovulation as you said predictable there's generally an increase some women are that that increase is pretty high like some women i'm like wow yeah <laughs> that, it's that crazy yeah and then the days prior to her bleed it goes up and then a few days during her bleed it will remain up and that is to be expected from a in a coach's brain. And when I see that, and a, and a client checks in and she's kind of freaking, out, I'm like, that's fine. Like it's fine. Just just yeah. keep keep doing what you're doing. It's 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 totally fine. But people really do look at those daily fluctuations and think, yeah, this this process isn't working. So it's 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 interesting that you do it from the month to month. I'm actually going to take that. Yeah, it's it's also really nice because it makes coaching easier for a number of different perspectives because oftentimes people will sign up. They'll be really, really excited week one doing great. And then week two hits and they didn't lose as much weight as they thought they would, or they should, they mm. should, I, I didn't lose as much weight as I should have. Like should you just, why should you have like how much, why you just made up that number out of nowhere because Cheryl at the fucking office lost more weight than you and she's doing keto. So you're comparing yourself to her. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and, and I would always start, I would say, you are not allowed to complain about your weight for the first month. Mm. And it made my mental health way better. And it also set the precedent for them to understand, okay, I'm not allowed to complain about my weight, which means that weight isn't something I should ever really be complaining about. Mm. And also gives them a better understanding of, okay, so we're looking at this month to month. So they're not expecting anything rapid in the first day or two days or a week or two weeks. They know that we're waiting for that first month. And then it also sets up really well because we talk about the average weight loss like per week, which generally speaking, an average of about half a pound to two pounds on the high end per week, depending on how much fat someone has to lose. At the end of one week or two weeks, a lot of people will confuse the average. They'll be like, well, what's going on? But after four weeks, maybe they lost two pounds the first week, one pound the second week, and then they didn't lose anything the last two weeks. 
right? So that's three pounds in four weeks, but the last two weeks they didn't lose anything. Hmm. So then they come to me and they'll be like, what's going on? I haven't lost any weight in two weeks. And I'll be like, what's the average amount of weight loss that we're looking for? And they say about a pound a week. I'm like, cool. So how much have you lost in the last four weeks? And they're like three pounds in four weeks. I'm like, so that's, that's yeah. more than an average of half a pound a week. So like you're right on track. There's mm. nothing about, and that can really help hammer home the idea of we're looking at the average over time, as opposed to when people hear an average of about half a pound or one pound or so a week, it's very easy for them to think, oh, so that's supposed to happen every week. No, no, it's not going to happen every single week. It's yeah. over the course of months though. We'll be able to look at the average over time. Yeah, definitely. And and a mistake that I see a lot of people make is, you know, when you when you start a process where you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start eating well, I'm gonna start exercising, I'm gonna do all of the things. The first two to three weeks, you're going to get, you know, if you're following the process, a drop that is not truly reflective of just fat loss. And that is because you're changing the way you eat. So you're probably eating less glycogen, less sodium, less takeout, you're moving more. And, you know, that will result in a drop that is not truly indicative of the drops that you will have throughout the process. And if, I don't know if you found this, but they, you know, clients can get really excited that first month and be like, oh, I was losing, you know, my brain works in, in kilos because I'm, I'm Australian. I was losing, you know, <laughs> A kilo a week and it's and then now I'm only losing 700 grams 500 grams 400 grams and they yeah they really confuse the difference between losing water weight and fluid retention and losing truly fat mass and one of the questions I always ask my, my clients is is the goal to make you a smaller human or is it to change your body composition mm -hmm. yeah so it's why does it matter <laughs> yeah it's exact I love that I love yeah. that yeah. And one of the one of the mistakes that I made earlier in my career that actually I didn't realize it at the time. I thought it was me being a good coach, but it was actually causing people to have a poor relationship with the scale mm -hmm. is when their weight went down, I would be like, amazing work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I it got to a point where even though I was I would never be like, why is the scale going up? I'd say, hey, it's normal for that to happen. I was encountering that with saying amazing job when this get when the scale went down, which subconsciously is making them think they're only doing well if it's going down. So I had to ch change my approach to speaking with clients where if it if we hit a new low where it goes down, I'm really not losing my mind. I'm not being like amazing job and be like, hey, I can tell you're being really consistent. Keep up the great work and it'd be more level headed with it as opposed to being like celebrating the scale going down i'm trying to celebrate the actions they're taking that are causing it to have this net effect over the long term mm. and and that way whenever it goes down whenever it goes up i stay very even keeled i'm not congratulating them though i will save the congratulations for like big milestones mm. like if it's 10 pounds down or like 20 pounds down i'll be like hey this is a big milestone this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been consistent this wouldn't have happened if like when the scale spiked up you you quit i'm really proud of you for keeping keeping uh moving and not quitting da 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 and that's how i'll frame it but no more celebrations over all the all, only scale loss is mm -hmm. i found that actually is a, a very negative way to uh to coming from a place of good intent but it's actually a negative way to to instill good behavior and thoughts around the scale
Mm, so it's approaching the scale with a, a neutral sort of lens. Exactly. Which is, it's funny because a lot of the people who hate on the scale, mm. they'll say like, it's an inanimate object. Like why, like, I don't want my, my emotions to be dictated by this inanimate object. I'm like, you're right. It's an inanimate object. Mm. Your emotions should not be dictated by that. So let's have a more neutral view of it. it. It doesn't mean you're a great person. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're a success. It's just giving you the data. That's yeah. what you weigh. That's it. That's, that's all it's doing. So yeah. let's treat it that way. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's data. Exactly. Like, like you said, and you know, if, if you're saving for a house, for example, and you sit down and I say this because there's also a group of people who will say, you know, tracking calories is so bad for your mental health. You should never do that. You should never do this. And it's like, okay, well, if I wanted to buy a house, for example, I would sit down with a strategy and think, how do I actually make this happen? How is this going to happen? I need yeah. to stop spending here. I need to do more here. And then I might be invited somewhere on the weekend with my friends and I think, shit, I spent like $300 over what I was supposed to spend. I don't then go to my bank account on Monday and clear it all out and be like, well, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a failure. All of, all of the things we tell ourselves when our weights fluctuate, I say, all right, cool. I had this strategy for myself. I wanted to save this much, but I didn't. So right now I just have to realign myself with the process or if I'm not saving according to where, you know, how much I need to buy that house, I need to have a bit of a different strategy. So it's all data. And I, and I love what you said there. It's the scale isn't the problem. Tracking calories isn't the problem. It's the lens in which we view our self-worth through. Yes. And you bring up a great point in terms of the people who say no one should ever calorie count. I mean, there are some people who calorie counting is not a good idea for. That's, 100%. There's like, yes, yeah, for some people, it's not a good idea. For, for some people, they respond in a certain way and it might exacerbate uh, disordered eating habits. That's fine. So for them, they don't need to do it. But just because it isn't right for them doesn't mean it can't be right for other people. It's it's mind boggling to me that like people can't wrap their minds around this, that just because it didn't work well for them doesn't mean it couldn't work well for someone else, doesn't mean it doesn't work well for someone else. And it also doesn't mean that it might not work for them later down the road, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just things that, that you did at 17 or 25 or 34, might be very different than how you do things later on in life. Like we change as humans, we get better in certain ways. We, uh, we get worse in some ways, like we get more mature, like whatever it is, we change. So the idea that people, the people who have had a poor experience with calorie counting, which by the way, I was one of them when I was mm. a teenager due to wrestling and all that stuff. Like I had real disordered eating habits as a result of it, but it was funny. It wasn't because of the calorie counting. It was because of, the wrestling and it was because my my goal was i had to lose an unsustainable amount of weight in an unsustainable way and and try to sustain this unsustainable weight at a very in a very unhealthy way that's what gave me the bad issue with calorie counting it wasn't calorie counting it was calorie yeah. counting was the tool that i was using to have a very unhealthy relationship to have an unhealthy body and it whatever tool you use if you have an unhealthy relationship in general then the tool is is not going to help in that case so uh so 
I, it's just, it's crazy to me how many people demonize things like that when it's just like, maybe it's just not right for you right now. And that's okay. But for other people, it's a really good tool. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Now I'm going to finish on one question. Okay. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. Cardio. Let's yes. talk about cardio. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, we do these full circles in the fitness industry and you've been in the fitness industry for far longer than I have. But, you know, when I started, it was it was all about cardio. And then it was, no, you don't have to do cardio to lose fat and don't do it. And why would you waste your time? And it was all, almost like this demonization of cardio. Uh, but nothing is ever truly that black and white, right? Correct. So what are your thoughts on cardio? Yeah, I mean, you, you framed it perfectly. And the fitness industry, always it's very circular. Like old things come back and now it's new. Like the ketogenic diet, for example, it's like people think this is new. Or intermittent fasting, people think it's new. It's like this has been around for so long. Like for so many, it's, it's just a new marketing scheme. That's really all it is. It's like things become popular, then they become so popular, they're not no longer unique. So then they cycle it out, they phase it out, and they bring something else in. And then it goes through this whole cycle until everything, it just goes in a circle. Nothing is new. Um, I had a similar experience early, early, early on when I got in the fitness industry, cardio. I think the reason a lot of times when people get into the industry, cardio is the first thing that they see and it's really made a huge deal about is because it's relatively accessible to people. It's like when you first start out, you don't know what to do in the gym. You might not have equipment, but you can go on a run, right? It's like, so often people will start their fitness journey through cardio and then they start looking and, and learning and studying about that. And then they often think, oh, well, I now I have to run and or if I want to lose weight to look the way I want to look. So then they start running more, they start doing more cardio, and then they stumble upon content saying, oh, well, you don't actually need cardio in order to lose fat. You just need to strength train and da-da-da-da-da and be in a calorie deficit, which is true. But then they go to the extreme of, well, now I'm not going to do cardio ever again. Mm -hmm. And so they think cardio is bad. And what they say is exactly what you said. They say, you don't need cardio to lose fat, so why do cardio? Well... Cardio is like you don't only exercise to lose fat. There are many other reasons why you might want to exercise. Like, I don't know, your heart health is probably a good fucking reason. <laughs> so the, the whole idea around you don't need cardio to lose fat, that's 100% correct. But just because you don't need cardio to lose fat doesn't mean you shouldn't do cardio. And it doesn't mean cardio doesn't help you in other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. So like not to longer. what's up? Like living longer. Yeah, like living longer. Exactly. That's I think that's probably one that most people would like to have. Um, and it's been it's been a very devastating past couple of years for a number of reasons. But there have been some very, very famous people in the fitness industry, young, young men mm. who've died from heart attacks from. Mm. Uh, and and these are these are guys who when you looked at them, you're like, these are some of the most fit in shape guys you could ever imagine. They're muscle, they're jacked out of their mind, they're super strong, they're always in the gym. You just imagine this would be person would be really fit. But it goes to show you, you can't always see health. Like health is not necessarily visible just by looking at the person. And I can't say for certain, but I would imagine that a lot of these people were not keeping up with their cardio routines. They were just only focusing on weightlifting and strength training and lifting heavy, which if we look at how the body responds to that and specifically how the heart responds to that, the heart res can respond well to strength training, but mm -hmm. there are different responses within the heart to strength training than from cardio. The, the, the 
how the heart responds to cardio will often allow you to get more blood inside of your heart. It will allow your heart to become a little bit more, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, malleable in a way, but it can, it can essentially create a, a bigger pocket, allow more blood in and then push more blood out, which is why you'll often find people's resting heart rate decrease as they get more cardiovascularly efficient because they need fewer pumps from their heart in order to fuel their body with blood. Um, Whereas with strength training, it can help increase the strength of your heart, but it doesn't often increase the ability for it to take in more blood and push it out. And actually, after a certain point, adding on extra muscle, especially if people are using anabolic steroids and building insane amount of muscle, which by the way, just everyday men and women don't need to worry about this. You're not going to add too much muscle, but for the people using anabolic steroids and getting like super physiologically big, it's a more stress on the heart which makes it even more important to, to do cardio, to make sure your heart is healthy. So, um, I, I think that cardio is probably where I would have almost everybody start with their health and fitness journey, just because it's so accessible. It has so many benefits. And even if we're talking about a population, like a more of a geriatric population, a bit older, oftentimes they go from sedentary to just walking. That's enough progressive overload for them to get increases in bone density, to get improvements in muscular strength and coordination and balance. It's like, if we're really looking at for health, it's, it's the best place to start. And then we can progress them to strength training and then we can progress them from there. But I think just simple cardiovascular exercise is the most underrated and the most important aspect of health and fitness that we can include in people's lives. And then yes, strength training is unbelievably important. And I think more people need to do it, especially women, but the demonization of cardio has just gone way too far. And I think we're, we're starting to see, and we'll continue to see decreases in lifespan among people you would imagine would be very healthy when in reality is they're neglecting major portions of their health. Mm. I feel like I need to go for a run right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hundred percent doing that as soon as we're done. I, my workout is scheduled. Yes. And I, I'm doing running after this. It's exactly right. It's so funny. Like I was an elite powerlifter for many years and I fell into that whole world of no cardio, no cardio. I am not an elite powerlifter at this point in my life. I can't lift anywhere near as much as I could before, but my blood pressure is the best it's been in my mm -hmm. entire life. My, my like overall, I can hang out with my wife and my daughter and run around and like not be winded and feel great. And just the, the confidence of knowing that like, you know, listen, I could get hit by a bus or I could have a brain aneurysm. Who knows? There's a million things that could happen, but I feel so much better just with little bits of extra cardio than I did without it. It's, just, it's unbelievable. Not to mention improving your cardiovascular capacity and specifically your aerobic capacity just through low intensity walking or light zone two work light bicycling, light elliptical, treadmill, whatever you want to do, it will improve your ability to recover. Mm. When you are lifting weights, you actually don't need as much rest because your body is better recovering and getting more oxygen. And so it will actually improve your strength training as well. Yes. Yeah. There's a massive carryover effect for sure. And I was going to mention that. And I think that we've, we've sort of tied in health with just fat loss. And mm. I feel like it's, we do see fat loss and think, yep, that's what it takes to be healthy. But fat loss does not always equal health. As you said, you, you can't see health. And it's, yes, losing weight, 
for some people, because for some people it can be detrimental, right? They don't need to lose more weight. But for some people, it can have an improvement in, you know, metabolic markers, in cardiovascular health, all these things. But also there's other things that we need to be focused on, focusing on outside of fat loss. So absolutely. And your method of cardio is you do you do BJJ? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like- I've considered doing it and I'm like, I would not have the lung capacity for that. <laughs> it's it's so funny. So I wrestled growing up. I, I did uh powerlifting. I did soccer. I did like every sport. There has not been a single sport that has been more difficult from a cardiovascular perspective than jujitsu that I've ever done. But what's interesting is jujitsu has a great cardio component and a great strength component far more than I actually realized mm-hmm. because with basically any other martial art except for wrestling um wrestling and jujitsu are actually very similar but um we'll take boxing or kickboxing there's you're not really you're you don't want to strain or tense your muscles you want to be quick you want to be loose i mean look at muhammad ali like float like a butterfly sting like a bee very light it's it's all about being light and fast and you can get stronger in order to have a strong uh, a stronger punch but there's very little strength that's being used during the fight whereas mm-hmm. with jiu-jitsu a huge portion of jiu-jitsu is controlling and moving your opponent which like it's one thing to bench press a bar now imagine the bar is really, really thick and moving all over the place and you're trying to like press them off of you or move them or hold them so they can't get away. It's like, it's cardio and strength at the same time. And it's just, it's a fucking killer workout. And also I think it's just amazing for self-defense as well. My wife will never do it. She said she just has no interest in getting sweat on her from other people, which I understand. Uh, we have agreed that um, she'll do it with me mainly just because I want her to learn basic self-defense in order, if God forbid she ever needs it with our, well, they'll definitely, they'll at the very least train with me. Um, but I cannot encourage you and anyone else to do it more. I, I think it's, it's just one of the greatest things in the world. And if you know how the feeling of confidence that you get from strength training and from, from getting stronger, multiply that by a hundred. And that's what you get from doing jujitsu because when I first started doing jujitsu, and this is a true story. This is, I'm, I'm not making this up. There's a girl at my gym and she's a girl. She's a teenager. She's not a woman. She's, she's a young girl. She was 14 when I started. Mm. Never lifted a weight in her life. Her name is Vanessa. There's she, she's nowhere near as strong as I am and not even close, but this girl, <laughs> went, listen, I, it's hard for me to describe if I ever got in a fight with her, <laughs> she could kill me immediately. And I'm like, I want to make this so clear because a lot of people, they go to the gym, they get stronger, they feel confident, but they have this false sense of confidence that like, oh, well, I could take care of myself in a fight. Mm-hmm. No, that is not like you have a better chance, but strength strength is a skill mm-hmm. and Fighting is a skill. Deadlifting is a skill. Squatting is a skill. Like each of these individuals are their skill sets. That's why Vanessa, even now, she's she she can destroy me. Even after years of my of training, because her experience and her skill set and her technique is better than mine. So yeah. the confidence that you get from strength training and then adding a self defense on top of it, it just I I, I never want to use it. But if yeah. I have do 
I feel very, very confident knowing that I could keep myself or my wife or my daughter safe, which is, yeah. that's just, it's priceless. Sure. I was actually having a really interesting conversation with my husband because our daughter, Ellie, who's, who's three, she's sort of at that age now where we're like, what kind of, you know, sports do we want to start getting her into? And we were thinking, you know, you go down the avenue of, oh, maybe we'll start her in dancing or gymnastics or, you know, the things that you, you tend to gravitate toward when you have a little girl, right? And my husband and I sort of thought about it. And one of my fears is that getting her into a sport like gymnastics or dancing they are sports that i speak on a very general sense but there's such a huge focus on their body and their body weight and how they look and and kind of like you said with wrestling it's you know people think disordered eating everything only comes from women but it's like if you are in a sport that places a heavy emphasis on your body there will be ramifications for that right and we we reflected on that a bit and and we sort of come to well, what about BJJ? Like, what, what if we got her into BJJ? Because it's like she could learn skills that, like you said, invaluable, but also, and please correct me if I'm wrong in this, I feel like with BJJ there's less emphasis on you need to weigh this and be this and do that. And and what, what is your experience with that? Like, is my are my thoughts kind of on the right path? A hundred percent. Like, I will say, so I'll, I'll start with this. I think the first thing I'm going to have my daughter do in all future kids is gymnastics. I think that will be the first sport I get them involved in. Mm -hmm. But I will, if there's a, um, a whisper of, of weight or discussion mm -hmm. when she's two or three or four or five, like, like fuck done. Nope. Yeah. We're going to a different school. There's no reason for kids that young to, that shouldn't even be part of the discussion. It should be all skill-based and making, it should be fun. Like kids should be having fun and getting movement in and learning the balance and, and somersault and roll and just be kids and learn. Like it's crazy. The it's, it's important to play and make play fun and to learn how to, put yourself in awkward situations and stand on one leg and just balance it. Like things that gymnastics really focus on. I think probably the best foundation for any young child, but you're right. It's dangerous with the weight discussion because you don't know who you're getting involved with and when they're going to start mentioning weight and stuff. So that would be something where like, I don't know if you can hear my daughter in the background. She's having a blast. Um, that I, I wouldn't want her involved in that unless she loved it so much and got to a competitive point and reached an age in which, okay, well now it's, it might be a more appropriate discussion, but I think gymnastics will be the first thing I'll, I'll start at like two or three, very, very young. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll be a good community and, and friends to meet. But again, if there's a whisper of weight discussion at, at that age, like I'm out, fuck no way. Mm -hmm. From there we'll go to jujitsu. Um, and then, and other stuff as well. Like I want to have her do as many sports and activities like, soccer i want her to like chess club debate uh theater all of that so i want everything like as many different things as you possibly can because that's how you find what you're passionate about but mm -hmm. from an athletic perspective and from a self-defense perspective gymnastics number one jujitsu number two in jujitsu there is a focus on weight but it's once you start competing and it's really not until you start competing at a higher level, which often you really don't start seeing until they're in their teenage years, which can be very, very difficult. But what, what I've spoken to my wife about is she doesn't have to do it forever. 
she's she's just gonna have to do it until I know that she's she can handle her own in a combative situation. And and that doesn't necessarily mean killing the other person. It might literally do you know enough to get away? Yeah. Do you know mm -hmm. enough to keep enough distance or to make enough distance between you and someone else so that you're safe? I don't need you to be a black belt. I don't need you to be a killer. I just need you to be able to become safe if you're in a dangerous situation. And mm -hmm. so that's why, like, maybe she only needs it until she's eight years old. That could be a real possibility. And if at eight years old, she's like, I love this. I want to keep going. Awesome. We can have that discussion. But I, I think gymnastics is, it's, I think it'd be hard put to find a better sport to begin with from an overall kinesthetic awareness, balance, coordination, body weight, strength perspective. And then from there going more towards jujitsu. That's just what, what I'll probably do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You do see higher level athletes, even in bodybuilding, CrossFit, they've all, you know, most of them have come from a competitive gymnastic background, right? So I certainly agree with that. But I think it just highlights being a parent because you think of these things and especially having a girl and myself being a, a woman and you have worked with women majority of your life, it's fucking scary <laughs> to think yeah. what situations they could be put in. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And and thank you for your time. It's I, I really, really appreciate it. I know that you've got your little girl in the background but where can people find you yeah if you google my name jordan syatt s-y-a-t-t I'm, I'm at my own podcast youtube instagram all that stuff uh and i mean for whatever it's worth i know this is our first time speaking but i think you're great so for everyone who if you're listening to this podcast just keep following you like you're you're fantastic you 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 know what you're talking about um you're, I can tell you're a great coach. You have a great heart and you want the best for your clients and for the people who are listening. So thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to, to be a part of, of your business and your journey. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for the industry. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.